District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about the organization, visit www.cfact.org. Hi everyone, Gabriella here. I have returned from Florida and I have some great episodes coming for you in the coming week or two. But I wanted to make sure you guys caught my recent interview with Ian Shive, host of the new Discovery Plus program, The Last Unknown. That came out on Thursday. And if you haven't had the chance to hear it or perhaps watch it, I encourage you to do so. I thought that would be a great addition to the content, a great supplement. And I would love to hear your feedback on that. I'm going to talk a little bit about my trip to Florida. I will talk about the confirmation vote of Deb Holland as Interior Secretary, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the meet-out declaration from Colorado that fizzled out and actually backfired on Colorado Governor Jared Polis. So stay tuned for that for this episode, and let's begin. As for Florida episodes... I'm going to be calling the series of interviews I did with the various different, what I like to call gatekeepers or keepers of the Everglades ecosystem. I'm going to be putting that out once my videos are finalized. And Madison Hughes, who is the videographer that CFACT and I use, she will be editing those videos very shortly. So in the coming week or so, those should be out. I'm hoping next week, if all goes to plan, we should have that out on our YouTube channel. So I'm going to coordinate the audio or some of the extended interviews I did from Keepers of the Everglades for you guys around the timing of each video release. So it's in concert with one another. I'm not giving away any secrets or preempting the video premiere. I want the video first to come out. Then we will put the various different interviews and extended conversations I had for you all. But you're going to learn a lot about the greater ecosystem surrounding the Everglades. It's not just the national park. And the water situation, water quality issues, I should say, are a lot more nuanced and beg for greater consideration than some of the rhetoric you may hear about the situation in that ecosystem. So it's going to be a very learning intensive few episodes when we have that. But but these are phenomenal storytellers, activists, people who live off the Everglades system, and they have a story to tell. And I figured this would be a great forum for them to do so. So you will see videos of my Conservation Nation series and extended interviews with like five or six different gatekeepers of the Everglades coming very soon. I also will be speaking with a few more cool people in the outdoor industry coming up, some photographers, multimedia people. I should be getting Christy Titus hopefully on as well. We've been going back and forth. She just got married, so we'll have to wait a little bit. She's very busy. But we have great guests coming up. I'm always looking for suggestions, so send those my way for people you'd like to see. Also, before I talk about some headlines to discuss, I want to thank each and every one of you who sent birthday regards to me, and I'm going to put out a video today around 7 p.m. Eastern, kind of chronicling my 30th birthday, what I did. That's when I did the Everglades tour. I did some bass fishing, and I had a great culmination of that spectacular day with a terrific dinner with some friends, new and old at Lightsea's in Okeechobee, which is a great restaurant. So you'll see that video from me. And thank you again for properly wishing me into my 30s. So that was phenomenal. And I had a great time in Florida. I want to go back again soon. 
and it was just so wonderful to be there. Florida folks are phenomenal, and I can't speak highly enough of them, so stay tuned for that. All right, let's talk briefly about the confirmation vote of Deb Holland. So I was obviously <laughs> traveling then, but I did keep a little bit tabs on how the vote went. So she was confirmed by a 51 to 40 vote. So obviously some Democrats were missing. And actually four Republicans, both of the Alaska senators, Dan Sullivan and Lisa Murkowski, plus Lindsey Graham of South Carolina and Susan Collins of Maine, joined in with Democrats to confirm Deb Holland. So that was really interesting to see because I think those four voted to advance her nomination to a full Senate vote during the cloture vote which is interesting. So it usually those closure votes don't predict full Senate votes, but it did in this case. So that actually kind of foreshadowed how the vote would go. Interestingly enough, my understanding is from Alaska's standpoint, there was a lot of pressure by the tribes on the Republican senators to confirm Holland, even though they have a lot of gripes with her positions on oil and gas. So I can understand they were probably pressured by some of the native organizations in Alaska, since that is a pretty native-heavy state. And I don't know what Lindsey Graham's justification was or Susan Collins's justification was. I mean, Susan Collins tends to vote with Democrats a lot on different cabinet positions, especially in the Biden era. So that wasn't surprising to see. But Lindsey Graham's confirmation vote was interesting nonetheless. But I think if we can take a page from, let's say, Steve Daines of Montana and... Obviously, he had the most questions directed at her. He actually went beyond questioning of her energy positions to actually ask her about different wildlife and conservation issues, which is appropriate. And I thought he did so in a pretty respectful manner. And he said something along the lines of this. Voted against Representative Holland's confirmation to Department of Interior because I cannot support her hostile record toward Made in America Energy, Natural Resource Development, and Wildlife Inland Management. Representative Holland has pledged to learn from states like Montana that are able to balance these priorities. I will hold her to this commitment and look for opportunities where we can pragmatically work together on behalf of Montana. And I think maybe if she sheds some of her radical positions, maybe a lot of us will kind of take our let's say, concerns down, and hopefully she'll prove us wrong. And if she follows through with some of the rhetoric and some of the past positions she's held, that will be very problematic. But I'm hoping that she will listen to different stakeholders. She will give consideration to sportsmen and women. They are the largest drivers of conservation funding in this country. And to not have them at the table for matters related to conservation work would be a disappointment. So we have to keep tabs on if she's going to continue her agency is going to continue having sportsmen and women boards for hunting and fishing councils and all that stuff. So we'll see who she'll bring to the table and, and what that looks like. But um, even if you are a little concerned about her, and I think a lot of us are, I think we have to see and we have to hold her accountable if she doesn't live up to kind of the standards of what a conservationist ethos looks like. But if she does good things, you can praise her. When she does bad policy, it's okay to call her out in a respectful manner. Today at Town Hall, in my VIP column, I wrote about the meet-out situation, or rather the meet-out declaration that was made by Governor Jared Paulus of Colorado, a Democrat who is a self-proclaimed meat-eater, but he got a lot of flack, rightfully so, for declaring March 20th, this past Saturday, meet-out day. 
And if you want to read the full proclamation, I'll attach it in the show notes for you guys to listen to or to read. And it was interesting because a lot of people, in in response to the meet out day, I should say, and kind of in a nutshell, there were a lot of meet in days hosted, about two dozen or so all across the state. There was even an event held in Denver to educate people about the importance and value of cattle ranchers and their contributions to the state. And in Colorado, actually, if you guys don't know this, after oil and gas, which is the largest industry in Colorado, the second largest industry is agriculture and largely beef growing and and, uh, farming in that respect. And actually, beef is the largest export out of Colorado, too. So that is very interesting to see that. And in response to some of the blowback he got, Governor Paulus was saying in an op-ed, it was in the Greeley Tribune, that uh, he supports food freedom as a core part of Colorado and America. And to respond to the blowback, to try to do damage control, he wrote, As an enormous booster of all Colorado products and our state as a whole, I'm excited to see the grassroots movement that my recent proclamation helped generate in support and promotion of Colorado beef products. I'm hopeful that this renewed support helps our producers and all who earn a living in ranching and the livestock industry. Like I said, if you read through the statement... There is no mention of it and actually called for going meat-free that day, but read it for yourselves to assess what it is. But what you can read from the statement, there was no encouragement of meat-eating. So again, this is him doing damage control. And he adds, personally, I order beef for our family directly from Colorado ranchers. Our kids are rather conveniently fond of popular cuts like chuck, round steak, and brisket. And he wrote in, this was from March 17th, today for the first time in public, I'm sharing my special brisket rub, which I hope might come in handy on March 20th or any other day of the year. Anyone who has been in my office knows my favorite snack is beef jerky, and I enjoy trying all different kinds. And there was also a similar statement issued by his agriculture commissioner saying that the proclamation was not binding. It was just a ceremonial type of statement and that they're fully committed to beef growers and cattlemen. And again, you can see those statements there, but they had to do a lot of damage control and then they had to assuage people's fears by saying, look, we're meat eaters, we support you. And this is not simply to drag Governor Polis. I think actually of any Democrat governor, I would say he's probably one of the more reasonable ones. He was largely in support of the moving of Bureau of Land Management to Grand Junction, Colorado. He has worked with Thomas Massey for things like decriminalizing raw milk and and kind of allowing different things to happen. So in many cases, I sometimes would praise him uh, on, on good stuff related to food, but I think he had a blunder here. Uh, with respect to this. And hopefully he will know not to mess with cattle ranchers. Maybe he got to talk to them and they reasoned with him. But uh, I don't think other states should try this because the farming and cattle interests are very powerful. Not to say like they're an evil lobby or anything of that sort, but cattle ranching is still very important. Meat still fuels our and nourishes our bodies. And there are a lot of people who are trying to attack the meat-eating way of life. And it's not like everyone just simply eats meat. I think we're mostly omnivorous as a country, but we do consume a lot of meat. And like I wrote about in my column, I said that meat-eating is not going away. It's still very important. And especially with respect to consuming free-range organic wild game meat, there's a lot of people doing that now. And you're going to see a continued gravitation towards that, especially as we reel in from the pandemic. So while I do have criticism for Governor Paulus in doing this, like 
largely. I think sometimes he does make sense when not talking about vegan or vegetarian stuff, but when it comes to other food freedom stuff, that's what he should stick to. I don't think he should have gone with this proclamation. Actually, a previous proclamation like this was made when Governor Hickenlooper, now Senator Hickenlooper, was governor of Colorado, I believe, in 2011. But I think he should have not done this. But nevertheless, I thought that was interesting that ranchers and their supporters were able to actually successfully win the PR war in this case. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation today, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you look forward to our forthcoming episodes on my trip to Florida, an expansion from Conservation Nation that I will be putting out through CFACT, who is a wonderful sponsor of the show. And if you've followed this podcast or if you've followed my work across the years, I've kind of inclined myself to cover kind of the underreported or poorly spotlighted subjects where I feel like attention needs to be placed on, especially when it comes to conservation issues and the principle of balanced use and how you can simultaneously have prosperous industries and a clean environment. And I think we're going to be sadly losing out on that principle, especially under, let's say, this new administration or kind of the the philosophies that are emerging now. People want to transition away from what has worked, balanced use, stewardship, true conservation efforts, and they want to move to preservation and this inclination to reducing red meat or reducing meat altogether. And that's not healthy. I think there has to be a balanced approach. And I want to highlight people who still believe in that and and people who have interesting stories to tell because it is such an essential perspective. A lot of Americans still hold these beliefs and it's not an archaic view of thinking, by no means necessary. And because of the times and because of technological advancements, things are produced in a cleaner fashion. Technology keeps people up to date and up to standard and up to code. And if they didn't advance with technology, I mean, that's where you can have an issue with with these individuals. But these industries have advanced. They produce things in a cleaner fashion. Cows are cared for better with respect to ranching and things of that sort. So to have an expectation that these companies are not going to innovate and be forced to improve upon existing technology would be foolish. So we like to talk about the confluence of all these different factors that come in here on the podcast, and I'm going to do my best to bring these topics, however controversial or however unpopular they may be, and these are not really controversial or unpopular, but it seems like in media, people want to be contrarian, they want to be pushing something that really doesn't sit well with much of the country. So we want to step away from that kind of contrarian thinking and listen to people who are on the ground working in these different industries who also help with conservation too. I think that's important that there are so many different stakeholders in conservation that are often made out to be enemies and we don't want to peddle in that type of nonsense here on the podcast and is also in my writing endeavors. So make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. Hop over to Apple Podcasts, leave us some reviews of the five-star variety, and I look forward to your comments there. Like I said, send your suggestions my way. Tell us how you feel. Tell us about the content. If you'd like to hear more breaking news subjects, more exploration into bills that are going to be deliberated in the House, Senate, or even in different state legislatures, we will be on top of that this year. So expect more of that content coming. Thanks for listening today. Make sure to stay tuned for my YouTube video about turning 30 in Florida and touring the Everglades, 7 o'clock tonight.